Dead or alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast where people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is definitely part of that oeuvre. It is indeed Crimson Tide. It is the story of uh, Bear Bryant at the University of Alabama. Nope. T- no. no, it's not. No. <laughs> nope. We are still uh, doing that ABWD, always be watching Denzel. That's right. It's Denzel Washington and Tony Scott's uh, amazing submarine uh, thriller, uh, Crimson Tide. Let's identify by the voices speaking to your brain right now. Who are you to my left? My name is Dalton Stewart, and I forgot to look up a quote for this movie, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of good ones. There are. Um, I, I, I've brought shame upon my house. You have indeed. Uh, who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and it's just a simple matter of voltage. <laughs> it's a simple matter of voltage. My name is Dustin Sells, and I now have the con. And I am. Gl- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I should have said. Yeah. Look yeah. at me. Look at me. I'm the captain. I'm the captain now. now. I'm the captain now. <laughs> uh, so uh, there you go. Um, and we all know that Jack Kirby is the real artist um, behind the Silver Surfer. Not that is such Mobius. a good moment. Yeah. That is so, such a good moment. And anybody who's ever read a comic book knows Kirby Silver Surfer is the only real Silver Surfer. Did's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all so good this movie? I love it yes. so much. So we need to tell you what's going to happen to you right now as you're listening to the show, dear listener, because you have signed up for an analysis show, not a review show. Correct. And what that indeed means is that there must be some spoilerage to do analysis. However, in case you've been living under a rock and haven't seen Crimson Tide, uh, there is uh, going to be a brief reprieve for you. What we're going to do is we're going to have a, a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Then we're going to get uh, into a game. That is, well, after the synopsis, we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will, of course, be spoiler free. Then we'll play a game which might involve a mild spoiler with this film. Probably not this week, though. No, probably not. Or other films um, that we might talk about in brief. And then um, we're going to move from that into our analysis. That'll be business time. And we'll give you a little business time cue to know that. And then there are a place, in, that is a place in which all spoiler embargoes have been lifted. And so we will um, definitely, definitely be crossing that sonar line in order to uh, give you those great, great spoilers of the film. So you've been warned. There you go, dear listener. Without any further ado, Dr. Reverend Arthur Gordon, let's hear... He's not either of those things. I I still like to do it. Uh, Let's hear that synopsis. On a U.S. nuclear missile sub, a young first officer stages a mutiny to prevent his trigger-happy captain from launching his missiles before confirming his orders to do so. That's a little much. I mean, it's 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 saying a lot, really. That's yeah, that jumps off pretty quick. Though. It does, it does. But I don't know. I I, I don't like the idea that he's trigger happy necessarily uh, in a yeah. synopsis. Also, I don't like that um, uh, Denzel staging a mutiny in there because that's yeah, not true. Not really, no. no, he follows a chain. Of, he follows the uh, naval regulations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that is what happens. Um, there, there's a nuclear crisis. The Crimson Tide, the USS Alabama, aka the Crimson Tide, um, is uh, receives a partial launch order. I gotta think people from Auburn gotta be really bent out of shape about that. Yeah, yeah. About the, the about the sub. <laughs> yeah, about the sub. You know, they, you, you think so? Yeah, they ought to be calling it you know the War Eagle. I don't know. I mean, they they just I don't I don't think they'd be very happy about that. 
uh, I, I know enough about sports to know you're doing a sports thing. And, uh, <laughs> we're going to keep moving on right along. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they get a partial launch order, and um, Hackman and uh, Denzel have a bit of a dispute about that. Yes, they do indeed. So let's hear our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Arthur, did you like watching Tony Scott's Crimson Tide? I generally like watching anything Tony Scott's done. Yes. Um, it's usually a good time to be had by all except for Top Gun. Uh, anyway, I uh, I do enjoy this movie quite a bit. I, I love when uh, you get two great actors just kind of going head to head and butting heads or you know even teaming up. Uh, and that's this moment has this movie is full of these kind of quiet moments uh, when they're first having their dinner on board uh, the USS Alabama, and they're having their discourse of war and evil and enemies, and uh, there's a lot of tension being built right there. There's so much tension in that initial meeting between Hackman and Denzel. It's so great. Um, Denzel is doing classic Denzel stuff. What you know Denzel for, he's doing it here. The way he's delivering his lines, that charisma, that confidence, uh, when he's standing up to uh, Hackman at the end, of, at the end of the film, it's it's just brilliant. Uh, and and Hackman's just carrying it too. He's, he's you know he's not pulling punches. He's delivering a great performance. Uh, he's genuinely he feels evil. He's he's bought in so well to this ideology, this mindset that he's got. And and, and they're doing great things back and forth. I, I feel you know Vigo's a little wasted. I feel Gandolfini's a little wasted. Um, but they're still solid uh, in their roles uh, here. Uh, it's. Tense. Uh, I, I texted you guys and told you, you know, the last 20 minutes of this movie are a nail biter uh, because the tension is so strong. Um, uh, Scott is just setting up the suspense of this movie time and time again. Uh, he's, you know, feeding us these Chekhov's guns and then he's letting it all play out. And it's it is a nail biter. And I, I honestly was doubting where this film was going to go. I for a second, I thought maybe maybe Hackman was going to be right. And, and I think that's a testament to how good this movie is because it's a solid thriller and so it's it's a good time and it's if you like to be on the edge of your seat I think you're gonna you're gonna enjoy this one. Well, there you go. That is a review that glows with nuclear power. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Nuclear. Nu- it's pronounced nuclear. Nuclear. Um, <laughs> gosh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think about uh, this movie? Um, why has nobody told me the Crimson Tide is the best Tony Scott movie? How has this secret been kept from me for all these years? Uh, I had never seen Crimson Tide before. Uh, we thought it'd be funny to do. Uh, yeah, the, apparently there's just been this vast conspiracy, much like a Manchurian candidate, <laughs> to hide the truth from me. The truth being that Crimson Tide is low-key the best Tony Scott movie. And and I will venture forth to say a top 15 Denzel performance. Yeah, by the way, later today we're going to be um, force-feeding you uh, ramen noodles, and you're going to forget all about <laughs> that. Um, what a film. Uh, I, I'm not... I'm not uh, being that hyperbolic, I don't think either. It, it is a great Denzel performance, um, which again is kind of unfair because they're all great. But it's definitely, I might be like one of my favorites out of nowhere. Um, but holy crap, what a great movie! Like I, I've always appreciated Tony Scott. Um, I don't know if I've ever like fully loved a Tony Scott movie though, uh, except another Denzel Tony Scott team up, Man on Fire, is, is one I really enjoy. Um, but but I, I struggle to think of any other Tony Scott movies on top of my head that I just am absolutely uh, gaga for. Days of Thunder. I've never Days seen it. I know you do. Um, I do not love I, it, but <laughs> I understand what you're saying. But holy shit is Crimson Tide a great, great suspense film. It is an absolutely wonderful suspense film, and it does... The thing that uh, Hitchcock talked about when he talked about suspense, right? It's putting a bomb underneath a table at a cafe and not telling the characters that it's there. We know pretty early on that Denzel and Gene Hackman are going to have problems. And I don't think, obviously, those two characters might know that they're going to have issues with each other. But they don't know what the issues are going to be, except 
instead of a bomb under a uh, cafe, it's uh, nuclear missiles. It's ICBMs and their tubes. And they're just surrounded by the ability to end the world uh, at all times. And yes, in a, a nuclear catastrophe movie, whether fictional or not, we, we know that there's probably not going to be a, a nuclear exchange. That's just not how these movies go. There's not movies about the end of the world. Um, if there are movies about the end of the world, it's after it. It's, you know, we don't start the end of the world in the right. third act usually, um, which is something we'll talk about later. Uh, but, man, what a film. I absolutely adored it. Um, I think Denzel is, again, absolutely at the top of his game. Gene Hackman is doing his hackmaniest. Um, a lot it of hack maniacal. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of great character actors in this film. Um, Arthur mentioned that Vigo and uh, Gandolfini uh, feel underplayed, and I agree. Um, one of the people that I feel like gets a lot of love is an actor who I don't know that I'm familiar with. It's the guy that plays um, uh, not the EXO, which is Denzel, but like then the the second ranking officer is a oh, Cobb. Cobb. Yeah. Cobb. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I really liked that guy. Yeah. I was a really big fan of his performance. Um, yeah, I. I just absolutely over the moon for this movie. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Donald Stewart. I also thought this movie was pretty good. I thought it was real good. I thought it was kind of amazing. It's so tense. I had, yeah, and I've seen it before. And yet, yeah. knowing how it's going to go, knowing what's going to happen, and we will not spoil that at this point, as I was watching the movie, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. Oh, it, it, it's really, really kind of amazing. And uh, the, there are these comedic beats that are in the film that are amazing that we've already talked about. Performances are great. I'll tell you what's great about Denzel's performance in this particular film is not so much his ability to just, again, just start, uh, you know, wailing out some of these monologues that are just It's brilliant. the build-up. It's the build-up there, but it's also these quiet moments. There's a quiet moment towards the end of the film where they're waiting on information to yeah. come in, and Denzel is just sitting there mm-hmm. looking at his watch. And it is the, the, this calm, cool collectedness. There is a time in which he takes a punch and he does oh, not respond. Brilliant. Mm. And so he, good. He is killing, not saying anything and doing everything with just the physicality of his body. His body becomes his instrument, not just his voice. Yeah. And it's crazy. I didn't amazing. know one man could simply control a single drop of blood flowing out of their nose but much like the glory <laughs> tear you got the crimson tide blood droplet yeah well it's appropriate for crimson tide right yeah it's gotta he's, be yeah right. guys he's so good yeah he's the best and, and dustin absolutely nailed it it's not the mo- i mean the monologues are great oh uh, yeah when he, uh, yeah, he's just thundering those monologues yeah. in a way that's amazing and it's always denzel but goodness th- but it's his quiet moments are good <gasps> but I, yeah. I and i think in the in-between the thing that i mentioned uh, it's not just the quiet moments it's not just the monologues i like the build-up to the monologues it's uh, Gene Hackman trying to get more info out of Denzel. And Denzel is trying to play close to his chest. He's not trying to be a dickhead. He's like, I don't agree with you, but I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to run your boat. And Gene Hackman just keeps picking at it, right? He just won't let it go. And it's that, that buildup that Denzel like, all right, if you really want to know what I think, man, I'll tell you. But you're not going to like it, and right. it starts to build. And yeah, that's uh. yeah, it's very amazing. Uh, also, uh, Hackman is great at despicable and just you know being hated. One of the great villains. Yeah, and so he's he's killing all of that stuff. I mean, it's it's, it's a good movie. It's a really really tight thriller. It is uh, an, what two hours and a few minutes, or is it two hours? Flat? It's 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 damn close to two hours. Flat. And it's it. I mean, it really really picks up, and you wonder how could this possibly happen next? I mean, there's a there's a there's experience where you're about an hour in the movie, and a lot. A lot of stuff has gone down, and you're like, there's yeah. another hour of stuff going down. Buddy, I checked the runtime on the film when they get the uh, the nuclear launch, uh, the, the, the 
they do they run a drill early in the film, and then they they get a we got a launch command. We have something launch related coming in. And they crack it open, and it's an authentic message. And I was like, "How far into this movie are we, guys? It's like thirty minutes." Yeah, yeah. They get they get uh, information they might have to launch. They get told to get to launch readiness thirty minutes into the movie. That's yeah. insane. And I mean, and you are in knots the whole movie. It's it's really pretty impressive. So yeah, we like this movie a lot, guys. The moment he has in the car before he leaves is a great moment when. Uh, the son, you know, he's, he says, I'm worried about the dog. Yeah. And then the son's like, oh, I'll take care of him. He's like, you sure? It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really good. It's a great, it's a great performance. Ah, all right. Thank you for that, goofball. Uh, it's good. Yeah. I lo- no, it's a really sweet moment. Arthur's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't do what a lot of films about uh, men off at sea or men up in space, you know, whatever, men doing men things. Yes, it uses his wife and children. As literally nothing but a reminder that this guy has something to live for. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. And that's kind of a problem. But okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to mention one thing. This is this is like surface level analysis. This is not analysis yes. at all. Um they smoke on submarines? Question mark, exclamation. I, I mean, point, I'm pretty question sure, mark. I'm pretty sure they don't anymore. Yeah. Uh I think maybe in the early nineties you could still get away with that. In the early nineties you could smoke anywhere. Uh, it's a thing I mean I'm aware of because I know that they had uh, ashtrays on uh, submarines. This was actually a big part of debate uh in uh, the US Congress during the nineties because they have three hundred dollar ashtrays. And uh, the reason why they're $300 is because if they were to um, fall or drop, be broken in any way, they break into three dull pieces. So there's not glass going into your, you know, your con officer's eyes. But uh, yeah, it's so I I knew that they did this and I knew that it existed. It's the important things that we've spent money on. That is so funny. But yeah, the the reason why we have to do that is because it's a different life. They live out there and things, you know, if something goes wrong, everyone dies. You need to have those things working right. But weird tidbit of fact. Well, it was weird to think about submarines as really the closest thing we have to space vessels, yep. right? Um, they're huge crews. Um, they are out of communication. They are about as far from land as you can get and still be on the planet. And if anything goes wrong, everyone dies. Yeah. Uh, and guys, you, being on a submarine would be so stressful. What yeah, I love. I couldn't do it. I Not love, because of claustrophobia, just because I'd be stressed out. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things I love is I was kind of thinking that they were going to be, you know, they're going to be doing sets and there'd be room for everybody to breathe. But everything is kept in real close quarters. And I love how kind of tight yeah. everything is and, and, you know, replicating that life on a submarine. I think that's really a it, good it, aspect of this movie. Yeah, it really does a good job of capturing that 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 claustrophobia, but even more than that, the stress of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's really sweaty all the time in this movie, and it's great. Yeah. Vigo especially. There's a lot of tight close-ups of Vigo just sweating bullets. Shine, yeah, yeah, lots of shiny Vigo. Yeah. Very, um, very shiny Vigo. Oh, what a film. And again, yeah, uh, it's not without its problems, but uh, I, I think it gets – I'm going to go ahead and say it maybe gets a pass. I've not, I'm not. i always so scared to, to say that because uh, who, who am I? I don't feel like the problematic features of the film do not detract from the film for me. Yeah. There we go. Because what the film is actually interrogating is a, a lot of other things. And it, it is a film that says, hey, we don't have time for this. And while, yeah, we should probably try to make as much time for as many things as we can, there's always going to be things that you can't make time for. Right. And, and when, when there are things that are uh, much more important uh, in the larger societal conversation, I think it's easier for those to be an issue. Uh, I don't think it's an issue for Crimson Tide. I think Crimson Tide manages to say, look, yeah, we know what we're doing here. Sorry about it. But here's the story that we really do want to tell you, and hopefully that makes up for it. 
There you go. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. So there you go, dear listener. We like this movie. We like it a ton. And uh, we're having this great conversation right now about this, and we want you to be a part of it. This is the part of the show where I pass over to Dalton, and he says you can follow us on Facebook, on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter, on Twitter, but he'll tell more word words about that. Uh, yeah, the Facebook's facebook.com forward slash GTM. The Twitter's at good underscore trash. Thanks very much out for me. I'm just going to hang out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess you can also go over to iTunes, rate and review and subscribe. Also, you can do that on Stitcher Radio. Uh, but yeah, tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, stay plugged in. Stay engaged. Um, we, we are um, creeping up on the end of Cast Beyond the Wall for the season. Caleb Master Show where he talks about Game of Thrones. So that's another thing you can go enjoy from uh, Good Trash Media. I will actually be on the next episode. I think I might have said that last week and I lied. I will actually be on the next episode of uh, Cast Beyond the Wall. Sure. Um, for reals this time. Uh, so yeah, go do that. We've got those things that we're making for you. Um, it's, it's been slow in uh, content generation f- of late, but if there's anything that you, you really miss or, uh, anything that you have thoughts on, please feel free to share. Once again, that's facebook.com forward slash GTM and twitter.com at good underscore trash. Yes. You can follow us on Twitter by following us on Twitter. I know it's amazing. It's Te- quite fascinating. Technology is a thing. What so a wonderful thing. Enough of this foolishness. I believe it's time to play the game. Time to play the game! Time to play the game! <laughs> and we're back. And we're back with this week's game, which is our favorite actor team-ups. That's right. Favorite actor team-ups. Brought to you by Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. This movie's got a team-up between Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. Sometimes they're with each other. Sometimes they're against each other. And that's what makes a good Act a matchup. And in the end, they kiss. It's beautiful. Oh, man. It would have been a much better movie. Uh, <laughs> it would have immediately become the greatest movie ever made. Uh, so, <laughs> did anybody... We, we talked about buddy cop movies not that long ago. We did War on Everyone. So, I, I did try to steer away from buddy cop movies. Um, did anybody else have any criteria for themselves when picking? Oh, I, well, I will go with my first one, which is absolutely a buddy cop movie in the worst kind of way. Okay. Uh, the Buddies, um, the buddy cop movie b- between Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's fun. I, yeah, and I, I do love their pairing. I think their yeah. di- dynamism between the two of them is just sort of amazing. Yeah. And, and the ways in which there is this sort of erotic tension, there is this sort of co-opting, there's this sort of mutual respect and also mutual loathing. I, I just think their chemistry is huge. It, it's one of the most massive factors in the success of that film, which is a film I love a lot. We've been talking about it a lot lately, it feels like. But i got to say, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins is my first pick for our favorite team-up. A very strong pick. One of the, the first ones that came to mind for me is uh, probably very obvious. Uh, and I don't care because it's, uh, it's kind of one of the all-timers, and it's uh, uh, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones and The Fugitive. Uh, a very much uh, actor v. actor movie. Um, not just because they have a couple of scenes where they get to play off of each other, but it is literally uh, about the the chase between these two men. Yeah. And uh, they both give really fabulous performances in it. And uh, it's a show or a film that I feel like we've talked about on this show a lot without ever actually doing an episode over it. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll have to, have to remedy that. that. Yeah, yeah, because it is kind of one of the great all-time great good trash movies. Oh, it yeah. is like an all-timer of one of the best action suspense films. Uh, and that is no... Uh, in no small part, thanks to that team up of uh, of Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. I didn't kill my wife. I, I don't, don't care. care. Such a good, yeah. It's such a good scene. Good yeah, game. it's a. I mean, that's a scene that got parodied into uh, extinction. Yeah, within like three years of that movie yeah. coming out. 
that scene has been parodied in so many uh, television shows and movies that they people just don't make fun of that scene anymore. Yeah. Because it's been made fun of literally too many times. It's yeah. hack at this point. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Arthur, what, what was the first thing that came to mind for you? Well, The Fugitive, obviously, is at the top of the list. It's a movie I love. But uh, I'll, I'll say uh, – I'm going to say Heat. Uh, that's a movie I think uh, – uh, when I was thinking about this game, I was thinking about movies uh, where there was a lot of buildup and kind of uh, intrigue about these pairings. And mm-hmm. there was always – you know, Pacino and De Niro had never went head-to-head. Uh, they were in The Godfather 2 – uh, together, but never at the same time. Right, and so Heat was really that moment where you took these two uh, massive stars who had a lot of uh, respect in these kind of gangster and crime films, and then finally put them together where they were on screen uh, going head to head. And I think uh, you know Michael Mann's film is one that's uh, beloved. It's uh, inspired a lot of directors. Obviously, Christopher Nolan probably one of the biggest uh, examples of that with The Dark Knight and his work. Um, but there's so much buildup and, and they're really only together for a few moments and they get that the diner scene which is kind of the classic and there's always kind of been i think a debate you know some people would kind of believe for a long time that they uh they didn't actually film it together like they shot it you know because they're doing the back and forth mm-hmm. uh shot reverse shot thing uh but that that's a great moment in that film kind of in the middle where we're kind of seeing these two ideologies play out and much like we do in this film. I see those kind of things playing out. And I think he's just a, a good example of, of this kind of actor matchup. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Um, I do like another head to head, uh, actor V actor, uh, meetup that happens in, uh, the great film. There will be blood. Daniel day Lewis, Paul Dano, mm. their chemistry, yeah, their man. antipathy, their, their, their septic, antagonism. Yeah. Just septic relationship is just amazing. And, uh, uh, they're both able to just kill it on screen together. So that that's a favorite of mine. How about you, Dalton? What's number next? So my next one is is not strictly speaking two actors going head-to-head, but it's two two actors going head-to-head with their reality together. Uh, it's a, a, a film that I, I like quite a bit. I feel like it's underseen. It's based on a play that I think is underseen and underread. Uh, and two actors that I, I don't really feel like uh, have fully gotten their due. And that's Tim Roth and Gary Oldman and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, um, which is uh, a play, a film adaptation of a play uh, about uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, who are two very minor characters in Hamlet. Um, and uh, both are unceremoniously, they're, they're kind of friends of Hamlet, but not really. They're, uh, they're just kind of schmucks who, who work for his uncle. And uh, Hamlet kind of unceremoniously kills them. Um, towards the end of the play and, and the whole play is about these two guys kind of hanging out in the in between scenes of hamlet and when they actually do inter- intersect with the play it's very briefly uh it's not even like their full scenes from the play uh but it's just these two guys being like wait a second what what's going on like with those guys when we're not around them have you ever have you ever noticed that like the only time we see those people it seems like something really important's going on have you ever noticed they don't ever like bother to ask us what we're doing uh, it's just kind of a really interesting movie, and they're yeah. really funny, and it's it's this weird existentialist meta piece of fiction uh, that's way older than you would think, because uh, I think the film versions in the earth was uh, 92 at the latest, uh, and I think the play was written in the 80s. I mean, it's it's kind of a postmodern in a way that's a little bit ahead of its time. It's it's very modern in a, in a postmodern in like a late 90s, early 2000s sort of way, and predates a lot of that. Uh, similar ideas that were going uh, on in film at this 
uh, later later years. So uh, that that's one of my picks. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Excellent. I appreciate that. Arthur, what do you think? Do you have another one? Oh, yeah. I, I've got to pick one of the great pairings of all time, and that is uh, Robert Redford, Paul Newman, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance yeah. Kid. Oh, what a good pick. They did so, a lot of movies together. You know, The Sting's another uh, choice. But I love Butch and Sundance. I think it's a great movie, a great example of uh, – uh, the new Hollywood, and uh, they've got great chemistry. They're so good together, and that movie is really about their relationship. and And I, I, I love so much about that film about these two guys uh, just going down on their sword together, and it's, uh, it's good. It's a good time. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I am going to give my last pick now, and uh, let's go Swedish. Let's go a little back in the archives into the uh, 2000s. No, not no. I was not going to Ingmar Bergman. Uh, I want to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I want to talk about Michael Nyquist, uh, now passed just recently, and uh, Naomi Rapace. I, I think their, their team-up and their chemistry together, it is just like what you find in a typical buddy cop movie where you've got somebody fastidious and sort of on top of things and somebody who's a much more chaotic and erratic in her behavior, but it doesn't play it up for laughs. It just plays up on how these two people can manage to pull their skills together and team up in a way. And of course, there's a sexual tension that's also going on in there that I find to be really fascinating. So that's that's my last pick. Is And I think that is one of the strengths of the Swedish version. Uh, I do like, obviously, David Fincher's version uh, because of my love for Fincher, but, uh, and I love Rooney Mara's performance. Like, that was the movie that uh, I, I discovered her uh, personally, and um, I've just been a huge fan of her uh, ever since, and I, I think she's absolutely fantastic. But I think that her and Craig's dynamic is missing something that the Swedish version has, and I think it's they play that sexual tension a little bit closer to the chest in the Swedish version uh, mm-hmm. because uh, Michael Nyquist is no Daniel Craig, I, I guess is the nicest way to put it. I mean, he, Michael Nyquist was a, was a good looking guy, but he's no Daniel Craig, uh, and everybody wants to have sex with Daniel Craig all the time. Uh, so I, I think it's a little harder to play that sexual tension close to the chest in the American version. Yep, fair enough. All right, you got any more picks? Yeah, my my final pick is uh, a film that I have loved since I was a child. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, my relationship with film uh, in re- relation to my father on this this uh, podcast throughout the years. I don't talk a lot about my relationship with film uh, with my mom, though. Uh, but this is a film that uh, I watched with my mom when I was a young man, and I've watched with her probably three or four times throughout my life, and I love it. It's Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, Mary Louise Parker uh, and um, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. Uh, what a great movie. Uh, I love it. I, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Uh, it's great. Hey, Secrets in the Sauce, man. It's so good. It's such a charming film. Uh, it's also uh, such a wonderfully gay film uh, in ways that are being played close to the chest. I'll be really using that uh, phrase a lot today uh, because it was the early 90s, and that was how Hollywood worked back then. Uh, in the novel that uh, Fried Green Tomatoes is based on, their um, romantic relationship is... Uh, explicitly stated, I believe it's not just implied, uh, but they're great together. I, I, I didn't take the pick because of the romance. I took the pick because of the friendship that uh, buds into romance. Uh, it's all about uh, two ladies who are really great friends taking care of each other uh, and just being buds. And uh, it's great. I love it. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it does uh, turn into a sexual love. Uh, that is only implied through a really hot food fight. Uh, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about if you've seen this movie. Yeah. It's real cute. Uh, so, yeah, it's Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, I love that movie to pieces. Excellent. Uh, Arthur Gordon, you got a last pick? I do. I- I've got to go with uh, the classic One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, man. Uh, R.P. McMurphy going up against Nurse Ratched. Uh, mm-hmm. A great back and forth. we got a great villain and a very fun protagonist uh, sort of um, just going back and forth with great chemistry and making a very solid film with uh, a lot of emotional uh, uh, endings there. So it's it's good. 
It, 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 yeah, it's definitely. I think it. they work well together. Yeah, they they absolutely did. Excellent, excellent picks. All dear listener, we'd love to hear your picks for favorite actor team ups. That is team ups together or against one another. It can be antagonistic. It can be copacetic. We would like to know what you think about all of those things. You can tell us by those magical means known as social media. But without any further ado, I think it's time to get down to business. Oh yeah, and that business is analysis. Yes, it is. It's uh, it's less sexy than that song is, but it's it's kind of sexy. It's a little bit sexy. We're gonna bring some sexy analysis because you know I don't even have my socks on right now. Oh, you, you wow, mm-hmm. no, no. So you know he's not down to his socks. He's down to his nothing. Yeah, and uh, it's really awkward for all of us, honestly. But well, usually. you know, it's my house. Uh, I keep all the gear here. We record here. So, uh, you know what? If you guys don't like it, uh, we can rent studio space. When you said you have all the gear here, I thought that was going a very different direction. <laughs> oh, I have all the gear here. He's got the hardware you need. <laughs> okay. I think we should talk about this movie. You know what's not sexy? Nuclear war. No, it's bad. It's How so scary. That's the best segue ever. No, really. It's that was pretty good. No. I liked it. Uh, hey, you know what? You segued to the thought of me podcasting naked to the horrors of nuclear annihilation. So... Well it done. Works. I think They're those even. dots somehow connect somehow. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm about as terrified as either. Oh, uh, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this movie's real scary. Yeah, so um, here's the thing. You've got to have two people agree in order for there to be a nuclear attack uh, from a submarine. And uh, it opens up with this title card that the uh, three most powerful people in the world are the President of the United States, the President of the Russian Federation, and also the uh, – wait, I'm mixing up my movies. That's from the Hunter Red. No, this is no, the start. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. you're right. Okay, and, and then the captain of a nuclear submarine. Yes. And uh, so here, there's a sort of a communication chain of command kind of breakdown kind of thing. So um, this film's taking a bit of a stance, I think, about nuclear war. Can we say some words about that? Yeah, I mean, this film definitely does not care for nuclear war, uh, by and large. It also does not care for regression or lack of progress, because I think one of the big conflicts that Gene Hackman and Denzel have early on is uh, Denzel's education. Uh, yeah. Denzel is a really uh, highly educated man, um, went to the, you know, the Naval Academy, did a year at Harvard. Uh, Gene Hackman, you know, went to officer training, but, you know, he just went to Annapolis. Um, so th- there, there's a, a different set of ideas. Gene Hackman has been schooled in the ways of war and nothing else. Uh, and Denzel has been schooled in ways of philosophy and war and politics and, you know, the human nature. Um, and uh, Gene Hackman kind of – I don't know if he resents them for that. I think maybe a little bit. But in I, I, either yeah. case, he doesn't like it. He's – you know, back in my day, you followed orders because they were orders. Now they want you to think about the orders. Uh, and Gene Hackman sees this as a breakdown of uh, military readiness. And he doesn't care for it. And I, I think if he doesn't resent Denzel personally, he resents what Denzel stands for, which is the Navy's changing. Um, and this is something that Vigo says directly. Uh, he's like, hey, man, his wife just left him like – this is all he has is being the captain of a naval uh, of a nuclear submarine for the U.S. Navy. That's all he has. Uh, Denzel has a lot more going on. He's an introspective guy. He's a curious guy. Gene Hackman is not. And, and I think what the film posits is Gene Hackman's way of thinking is going to get us all killed because Denzel's right. The real enemy is not the Russians or the Chinese or you know whatever the flavor of the day is. The real enemy is war um, because in a post nuclear world. We, you don't just get to do war anymore because we will all die. 
Um, and and I, I think that is kind of the Tony Scott and the film as a whole stance is don't do a war if you can help it. I, I do wonder. I, I, I think yeah, I think you're right. I, I do agree with you that uh, it's anti-nuclear war. I do wonder how much of that comes through because of Tony Scott and his British background. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have an international director here kind of telling this tale who's got a different philosophy probably on war. Uh, I, I, I just kind of wonder, you know, what we would have seen with a different director, you know, an American director or something like that, if that would have, you know, shifted it at all. Also, you know, we've got Tarantino working on the script. We don't know what the original script looks like. So, mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I think it's a you know it's a definitely opposed to war. I, I I love this kind of that battle of ideology that's going on. Uh, you know, I love uh, the, there's that quiet moment when they're having the dinner and he's kind of scoffing that he's taking philosophy. They teach him philosophy mm. now, uh, and you know the the idea that you have to think and and the you know there's also this kind of point where uh, Denzel does also kind of have to stoop to. Uh, hackman's level a few times you know and that's the question hackman is you know raising the kind of the thesis is you know do you have the do you have the gumption to kind of make these rash decisions yeah and do what's best for the people yeah when the when the chips are down yeah. can you make the tough call yeah uh and, and that is gene hackman's fundamental belief that he does not uh, yeah. but we see pretty early on that he does yeah uh, and I, I think that's interesting it does raise a question, though, in terms of having a military, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a military, you're going to have enlisted men mm-hmm. and officers, and these people are going to take orders, and they're going to, have to fulfill those orders, and sometimes those orders include doing terrible things. Do we want necessarily – I mean, this is this is the big can of worms, uh, because there, there's, there's a sense in which, although all of our sympathies are definitely with Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. uh, because Hunter is right. You know, th- you need to have all the information, and you need to make sure, but his he's not not really asking the question is it okay to do what we're going to do it is just make sure if we're doing this it is the order that we've got it is it, it's, it's making sure that we've got all sort of the checks and balances mm-hmm. and that we are not doing this unnecessarily because it is such a wild and heinous thing do we really want to see military officers asking the question why that that is that's hairier i mean i do uh yeah sometimes uh, when the fate of the whole goddamn plan is at stake? Yeah, I yeah. kind of do. Um, and I understand that that's, you know, the Navy doesn't want that. That's why they didn't sign off with the, the Department of Defense to yeah. not give this movie its seal of approval. They did not cooperate in the production at all. I was telling uh, you guys off air, but uh, for you, listener, uh, there, there's a, a story that um, the the scene where the USS Alabama submerges, that's the real USS Alabama. And, uh, the, the legend has it that they shot that gorilla style where, uh, basically Tony Scott and the crew, uh, got the, the submarine to submerge by just like flying around the dock on a helicopter. And they were like, Hey, you guys can't do that. Oh, my bad. Okay. We'll leave. And as soon as the submarine submerged, they started rolling. Um, so yeah, they, they had to do this kind of renegade. The Navy didn't like it. And I, I imagine, yeah, the department of defense probably doesn't want officers that are asking that many questions, but yeah, I do, especially if they're the officers for a nuclear submarine. Damn straight. It's a lot easier to get people to do what you want if they don't ask why. Yeah. And so I, I, I think you've got to have people in there asking why or you're going to be in a place you don't want to be. Right. Yeah. I, 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 okay, just I, I don't want to be the devil's advocate here because that's the side I'm on as well. Yeah. But at the same time, you're not going to take that hill. And that's a fair point. You know and what I mean? When it gets smaller and more granular is yeah. when it gets... A little bit different. I think where that comes from is something that Denzel and uh, Hackman argue about is 
hey, man, like, if you disagree with me, that, and this is actually one of the times where Hackman actually does get to seem like the good guy, where he's like, if you're going to disagree with me, that's fine, but don't do it in front of the men. Right. Because if I say something has to happen, yeah. they have to believe that I am the only authority on the planet that matters. They have to believe in me when I tell them to do something. They have to believe in you, too. They have to believe that you believe in me. And if they don't believe that you believe in me, they don't believe anything either of us say. Um, and that is kind of a, an interesting moment that Gene Hagman yeah. gets to have, where he, he gets to stress the importance of sometimes you do just have to do shit you don't want to do. And, and I, yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's a, a perfectly fine theme and a perfectly true lesson in life is sometimes you just got to do a thing you don't want to do and tough it out. But not all those choices involve nukes. I, I, I love this kind of – there's this – I think there's something beautiful about that ending scene uh, because – it's all business, mm-hmm. and it's just two different ways of going about doing business. Uh, but there are people behind doors right now making decisions I don't want to know about, and I don't want to be the person having to make those decisions. And it's when you have the fate of the world in your hands, it's it's scary. Yeah. And well, if, the- I, if I'm in Vigo's shoes, I don't know that I would do anything different than Vigo. Yeah, and, I, I think and- I think we would all like to think if uh- – uh, you know, should destiny call, we we yeah. we're Vigo Mortensen, and we say, no, nah, I'm I'm not doing it. Yeah, you're gonna have to kill me. Yeah, I won't do it. Yeah, and and I think that is an interesting thing that the film does. I do think it is a good situation, perhaps, where people are asking the why questions, mm-hmm. and that uh, that somebody might have the courage to disobey orders. And I I think again, military policy, they're not going to want this at all. This is this is a terrible thing as far as chain of command and that kind of stuff. But I think it's it's a better thing. And I you know if we are here, we are with, with a moment of brinksmanship happening all around us, and uh, there's a moment in which someone could make some kind of order along those lines i don't know that i i'm very unhappy at all to think of some captain disobeying direct orders and not doing a bad thing and uh you know so that that's that's that is a good thing yeah no i'm a big fan of my home uh, remaining unirradiated well that and the fact is um the reason why our homes are not irradiated right now is because this happened because uh vasily arkhipov uh who was a uh, political officer on uh, on a uh, soviet vessel during the cuban missile crisis was in communication there was uh, an understanding that there had been a preemptive attack launched by the united states and they had lost communications and they were in a position where like well if this is happening and the war's going on and we're missing it we should be firing and vastly arkhipov did everything he could against the will of many of the rest of the crew to say no we are not doing this until we get more information it's almost exactly the plot of crimson tide and because of that one solitary political officer which is not a um, it's not really a military position it is a military position in the Soviet Navy at the time, but the uh, the political officer almost functions like a chaplain, but the chaplain of Marxism uh, for the sake That's of the party on board a vessel. And so they do have Sunday uh, what, what they call uh, political meetings, and Sunday political meetings mostly they read from Marx and they talk about it together. It's like Bible study, except for Marxist. That's style. kind of adorable. Yeah, it's it's, it's precious, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if you can ignore all the bad things that uh, Stalin was doing with Marxism at the time, right? Uh, which is not good. This yeah. is Khrushchev at this point. But yeah, oh, that's right. right. But nonetheless, the, the point being, this person is, again, most of the men don't look at this guy as the high political guy, uh, the, rather the, um, the high.
my authority you know, yeah. as a man's man. This is a political appointment to a ship. And because they also share responsibility for the ability to launch weapons, that there is a, a sort of shared chain of command that people have to agree to do that because Th- of this being during the, the time of the Soviet Navy. Yeah, and, and of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis specifically. And so because of his refusal, they could not launch. And then they found out, oh, wait, that was bad information. That, that We might have ended the world. We, yeah, we might have ended. We, well, they thought they were just going to participate in a war that was already going on yeah. without all the information. And he, he refused to act. Yeah, and they said, thanks, Arkhipov, for yeah, not letting us in the world. W- way to go for not killing everyone. By the way, the reason why the world was saved, the Cuban Missile Crisis, has nothing to do with any of those heads of state. It has nothing to do with John F. Kennedy. It has nothing to do with Nikita Khrushchev. It has everything to do with a rando political officer on a nuclear sub said, no, guys, I think we ought to wait. And um, should you find that story interesting, uh, I just would like to let the listener know, uh, Wikipedia has literally an entry that is, uh, or a page that is, just all the times World War Three almost happened. And throughout <laughs> nuclear history, there are about three dozen times that we almost killed each other. Um, and there's a bunch of stories like that where one person was just like, wait, hold the fucking phone. No, 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 no. Everybody wait for one second. Why is everybody in such a hurry to blow up the planet? If their birds are already airborne, it's already done. Like, just hold on a second. The damage is already done if it's done, so let's just wait for one goddamn minute. And that's the the point that, um, that Denzel makes is, okay, even if we do launch a preemptive strike, their birds might already be away. It doesn't matter. Plus... There are other submarines that are here to do the same job as us. That's the whole point of redundancies, uh, which Gene Hackman is not amused by being reminded what redundancies for. But yes. my point is uh, we should have a world that is structured like this for terrible decisions, not just nuclear warfare, for all terrible decisions. There needs to be multiple people accountable because the more people that are accountable, the more likely one person will be like, hold the phone. Let's not all get buck fucking wild right this second. Right, which is um, was was sort of responded to at the ending title card of the film, <laughs> which Boy. is terrifying because the the idea that the film was putting across is that a submarine captain should not have this kind of power that that, that these many people could do this and this sort of breakdown of the chain of command could possibly happen. It seems to be sort of a very very terrifying scenario, and so the way in which. In 1995, um, we are um, sort of uh, – a bomb is laid upon this festering, uh, irritating wound this film has opened up for us is that now that power resides only – As in of the- 1990 – so the movie came out and was shot, would have been shot in 94. Right. came out in 95 and it said as of 1996 um, – or maybe it was as of 1995. Five, I think, yeah. Um, sole nuclear launch authority rests with the president of the United States. There, like there's no like, abil- like there's no ability for a submarine captain to be like, I'm not doing that. I don't know how that works, but apparently if the the president says launch, the subs launch somehow. Um, How about that? uh, Yikes. Oh, boy, there is no accountability. None whatsoever. Um, Yikes. And you know what? I would actually make the argument that maybe Crimson Tide is making the same point. Maybe it's not supposed to be a bomb. It feels like it might have been more of a bomb in 1995, but maybe it wasn't supposed to be. Maybe that was the point is, no. No one person is supposed to be able to do this. There's supposed to be checks and balances. Everybody just fucked it up. Like, I, I want to I talk to whoever wrote that postscript, I wanna, whatever studio, like, production assistant suggested it, I, or if it was just Tony directly, or if it was in the screenplay, I want to know who said it and why. I'm kind of curious. 
Yeah, absolutely. So th- th- it's a mess. It's crazy. And so I think we can move away from uh, you know this dark subject of uh, nuclear war and go into something a little bit more cheerful. Let's talk about racism. Uh, oh boy. Uh, yeah. So um, there's <laughs> there, there, there there's something of an uppity boy going down to Alabama and uh, bringing some information. It, it, I mean, there there that is a yeah. subtext of films. So that is. Oh, that's definitely a subtext. What, what you want to say about that, Arthur? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you made a face like, I got this stuff, and I was making a hint off. Okay. I fail as a host in every way imaginable. Um, but, yeah, it, it is very much uh, this old, crusty white guy, you know, who's in charge of Alabama, you know, like maybe a governor of Alabama, if you were going to go political with it a little bit. And uh, this governor of Alabama does not like this guy coming down here with his education and his degrees and saying, this is how things ought to be, and this is how things ought to be handled. And it's not quite, they call me Mr. Tibbs, but it's real close uh, to that going on. And I think the real, you know, so there, there's all of that working on in the film on many levels. And it, I think the film does a good job of uh, making an African-American actor also uh, sort of be on the team of the uh, ship's captain. So it's not just like a one-on-one sort of uh, race, you know, sort of allegory uh, as a film. But there is a bit of discussion about um, horses. Yeah, it's uh that's a good sequence. And he does get his Mr. Tibbs moment with the uh, the punching. Yes. Um, but he's not doing the punching. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, Tibbs gets slapped, too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, but, we, yeah, we have the discussion of the uh, the Arabians. Fun fact, my dad had an Arabian horse when I was younger. Oh, I didn't so know that. So that was fun. That's yeah. fun. Uh, but uh, we get the discussion about these... Uh, uh, um, Gene Hackman brings up the uh, these what, oh, uh, the, Portugal, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're Spain. They're from Spain. It turns but, out, well, yeah. But the story he starts it off as the, the Portuguese, yeah. Uh, oh, what are they uh, Arabians? Uh, Liz or something? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the dancing stallions. Yeah, uh, but he, you know, he insinuates that these are the smartest horses ever. They can do whatever you want, uh, but they're all white. Uh, and then Denzel counters him and says, uh, "I I have heard of them, and they are all white, uh, but at birth they're black." Uh, and so we have this nice back and forth repartee uh, between the two, uh, underlying a lot of this racial subtext that uh, Dustin's mentioning, I think. And I think what the, the racial subtext does is it comes back to what we were talking about right at the very start, right? Is it's it's uh, it's not always because, as Dustin mentioned, uh, both uh, factions, both uh, the faction that Denzel is leading, the faction that Hackman is leading, are not. It's not you know one to one racially speaking. Um, and I think it becomes not just about race, but it comes as much about um, old ways of thinking, being stuck in your way of thinking, um, which, you know, because of how old Gene Hackman is, race is a huge fucking part of that. Um, because any talk about progress in, in the United States of America specifically inherently is going to talk about greater racial equality. Um, and I think it, it's not just Gene Hackman's, it, it's not that Gene Hackman is, uh, ra- Gene Hackman says things and does things that are racist. I don't think his character is a racist so much as he is a, an old fuddy-duddy who refuses to listen um, and refuses to say, when somebody says, hey man, you're doing this wrong, he refuses to hear them out. And, and I think it could just circle back to the thing we were talking about right at the start. Yeah, I think absolutely. And also I think part of the uh, point that Hackman's trying to make with that particular horse thing is that these white people are easier to control. They do exactly what you expect because they're the smart ones. And it's like, no, the smart ones are born black. And it, it, it's this weird sort of bringing things back. And yeah. it, it's about, you know, he, he's making comments about sort of uh, the – 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, subjugation of races. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just, it, it doesn't really make a, a strong statement. Obviously, we're on Denzel's side. And so it is doing that. But it, it does it in the way that is so subtle that I find it to be just really, really, really brilliant. And it's just one of the great strengths of the screenplay and uh, Tony Scott's direction. Well, there you go, guys. Um, that is a fun conversation uh, about a movie that um, we did not expect to love quite so much. I did not expect to love it at all. I, I, I'm really surprised. But I think we're going to render a verdict. I don't think it's going to be surprising about this verdict, about shelves and trashes uh, regarding this film. But I am very curious to hear about your Elsa's and Instead's uh, for this. I'm, I'm going to probably guess that it's going to be Elsa's almost across the board. But we'll see. Um, so, Arthur Gordon, um, surprise me. Shelf or trash, Elsa or Instead? Uh, you know what? When I f- kind of first started watching this film, I was like, maybe this one will make it in the trash bec- just because it's not, you know, what we think of. Like Dalton said, no one really talks about Crimson Tide. But the last hour of this movie elevates it. I think it's a, a great uh, exercise in suspense and tension. And so I'm going to put it on the shelf. I will. Uh, I, I I don't know that I'm going to make any uh, very many uh, derivations from that uh, throughout this marathon. But I might be wrong. Um, but you know what else to watch with this? I'm going to say Doctor Strangelove. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, works well here. Uh, I want to say Eye in the Sky. Uh, which came out a couple of years ago, I believe. I want to say it's 15. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 15 it's, or 16. Yeah, sounds right, 15. Um, but I think it's dealing with a lot of the same kind of ethical and moral uh, questions that this is raising. That one, uh, Eye in the Sky, is dealing a lot with uh, drone strikes and drone warfare. And it's it's a hard watch. It's raising some hard questions. And I think it definitely pairs well here. I think it was kind of underseen. Uh, didn't get a lot of, you know, kind of buzz. It's not a great title, um, and so it kind of looked off, but it's, it's a solid movie. It's got one of Rickman's last performances, got Helen Mirren, a uh, solid cast. And then you've got people, uh, you've got those people who aren't anybody's. They're just, you know, kind of general officers who are like questioning whether or not they should be kind of carrying out these strikes. And, you know, they're dealing with these kind of ethical questions as well. Uh, and, and, you know, they're kind of from top to bottom of the ladder. And so I, I, I definitely want to recommend that. And then finally, uh, just because of what Dustin was saying earlier about he's seen this movie before and he knows how it's going to end, but he's still on the edge of a seat. And I think Argo is another movie that does that same thing. Even the first time I saw Argo, I knew it was, you know, happy ending or whatever. I knew how it was going to end, but I was at the edge of my seat. And every time I watched it, I, it's such a well-developed, well-edited, well-directed thriller that is or suspense film. Uh, it, it just works so well, and uh, Affleck's really bringing his A-game to that movie as a director. And so uh, check out Argo. Excellent. I like those picks a lot. Um, Dalton, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Elser instead. Yeah, I'm going to have to say shelf. Man. Yeah. Uh, I'm not kidding when I say I think it might be, uh, at the very least, my favorite Tony Scott movie. I, I think it's absolutely great. Um, to pair with it, um, you know, we're going to be watching a lot of Denzel. Uh, we have been, and we'll continue to do so. Um but I want to suggest some Gene Hackman's. Uh, so normally we would always suggest, well, here's another great performance from this actor. We've got more Denzel coming. Here's some good Gene Hackman's. My two favorite Gene Hackman's, um, and that is uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, which a lot of people mention. Uh, he is great as Royal Tenenbaum uh, in, that, in that Wes Anderson film. Uh, I also really like him in a film that I don't know a lot of people are familiar with. Um, I, I, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, but it's Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, yeah. uh, in which Gene Hackman uh, plays... Uh, you know, a real a real son of a bitch, uh, as he often does. Uh, but he goes, uh, you know, Royal Tenenbaums, he's kind of a, you know, he's a bad dad with a, a good heart. Uh, in this film, he's just a conflicted old coot. Uh, 
in the quick and the dead, he is the worst. He is straight up evil. And it is fun to see Gene Hackman go that dark. Um, and it's a, it's a movie I really like quite a bit. Uh, so I would recommend you do that. Um, lastly, if you are into this, this, uh, this idea of nuclear catastrophe, uh, I want to recommend a film that I know I talked about on the people's history of film back when we were doing that. I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this show, but it's a film called Failsafe. Um, it's a, I want to say Sidney Lumet film. Uh, nobody saw it. It came out the same year as Dr. Strangelove and Kubrick did his damnedest to make sure uh, Strangelove came out first. Um, because he heard about this movie and he was like, oh shit, well, we gotta, we, we gotta beat this movie to theaters. Um, and it's absolutely great. Yeah. it is a Sidney Lumet film. Uh, so what if Sidney Lumet, uh, did 12 angry men, but instead of a courtroom drama deciding one man's life, it was politicians deciding everyone's lives. Um, it's great. I'm in. Did you know that Denzel is in a Sidney Lumet film? Which one? It's one of his, I think it's in the late 80s. Oh, I'm going to look into that as soon as we get done talking. Uh, yeah, Failsafe is great. Uh, I talked earlier about how, um, you know, especially like movies like 13 Days, which is a good movie, but you know how 13 Days is going to end. We didn't die. You know Crimson Peak. There, this is a, a, a blockbuster from 1995. This Crimson. is a mid-60s you film. You did it, man. It's Crimson Tide. Not did Crimson I say Peak. Crimson Peak? Crimson Tide, whatever. <laughs> We've been joking about uh, this all day. Uh, here's the thing, though. Failsafe was made in 1964. Uh Movies were a little bit weirder and edgier in 1964, uh, at least major studio releases anyway. Obviously, you know, independent film uh, can get as weird as it wants. But studio films uh, across the board were a little bit weirder in the 60s and 70s. Um, Failsafe is a dark film um, that makes the argument, yeah, sure, we've got all these failsafes in, in place to prevent nuclear war, but we put them in place and we suck. So how good could they possibly be? Um, and it's great. I'm just going to rattle off some of this cast for you because it's absolutely bonkers. Henry Fonda, Walter Matthau, Fritz Weaver, um, Frank Overton, Edward Benz. I mean, just, yeah, I, I mean, a bunch of, like, the greatest guys of their day. Another movie with no women, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, now, I will say, without spoiling anything, there is one very prominent female character, and she's great. She's absolutely fantastic. I will say nothing else. Uh, she she has a phone call conversation with a pilot at one point, and it's absolutely astonishing. It is a really hard movie to find. Uh, it did very poorly when it came out, but it's it's an absolute masterpiece. Um, it's actually listed as one of my favorites on Letterboxd. That's how much I like Failsafe. Wow. All right. Uh, the Lumet film I was referring to is called Power from 1986, and mm. it also stars Richard Gere and Gene Hackman. Interesting. All right. I think I've heard of this movie, actually. Okay, okay. Well, that's... well Dustin, where, where are you standing with this, buddy? Shelf. Yeah? Okay. Easy. Well, yeah, Shelf, obviously. This movie's great. It's a lot of fun. So what else did you watch? Um, let's watch a conservative uh, bit of uh, submarine filming and watch uh, The Hunt for Red October from the year before. Uh, with the Scottish Russian? With uh, the Scottish Russian, yes. The Scottish <laughs> Russian. And uh, Alec Baldwin as uh, Jack Ryan rather yep. than Harrison Ford or, you know... One of the um, or Chris Pine. Well, I just gonna say one of the Chris's. Just the, the, Chris Pine's the best Chris. It's all the white Chris's. I don't the, the Chris, know. Stop! You don't. You, Chris Pine is better than them. That's oh. not true. They're all great. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good, but they're all just white Chris's. They are white Chris's, <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that movie's interesting in, in terms of the conversation about uh, militarism and uh, the raw raw America stuff and nationalism. It does some different things. Uh, if if Crimson Tide is a lefty movie, that's the righty movie uh, from that same period. Yeah. Now Tom Clancy had a real big boner for America. Yeah, kind of. So there's that, and I think that's interesting and uh, something that's worth your conversation. I wanted to also talk about one of my other favorite submarine movies. Uh, 
uh, in which uh, there's a lot of suspense, and that is uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. I thought about Wrath of Khan. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it really is uh, the last. Of the film is absolutely. It's a sub movie, and we talked about this. I think when we did it on the we show. We did. Yeah, and so it, it definitely fits and pairs very well. Also, listen to that podcast episode. Why not? It's uh, a good one, as I recall. Yeah, we had a good time. So uh, there you go, dear listener. That's our thoughts on the uh, Denzel Washington Tony Scott picture with the great Gene Hackman Crimson Tide. I've been trying so hard not to say Crimson Peak also. It's difficult. It's, it's been on my tongue all day. We'll see if we can make it all the way through now. Um, we're going to watch another uh, Denzel Washington movie because you need to hashtag A-W... Uh, uh, You're the it. one that came up with it. Hashtag A-B-W-D. Always be watching Denzel. And uh, so what are we watching next, guys? We are going to be watching the Spike Lee joint He Got Game starring Denzel Washington. Obviously. I hear they're going to play sports ball. With... With a soundtrack by Public Enemy, I uh, hear they play less sports ball. Uh, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Chuck D plays ball. I don't know if Flavor plays ball. I don't know. We'll Flavor, Flavor. <laughs> yes, indeed. Bring that, your clock necklace. Your clock necklace. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh gosh. It's such a hey man. He knows what time it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I'll tell you it's this: time for evolution, brother. It's time to have a conversation about the movies. That's where we're at right now. Is that the movies are all about this great conversation? So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. In the town where I was born, lived a man who sailed to sea, and he told us. Thanks for listening to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a production of Good Trash Media. For all info on things Good Trash, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music is a little joint edited by Arthur Gordon featuring the score to Wonder Woman by Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL. And our outro music this week is Yellow Submarine by The Beatles. In our